in audio. Book of Revelation is essentially it's about living in the present in the light of the, uh, the, the current reign of the Lord Jesus and as we look forward to his return eagerly. The book opens with a vision of Jesus, the Son of Man, walking among seven lampstands. Uh, those seven lampstands represent the seven churches to which John is writing. And that's followed by an individual letter to each of those churches. Each letter concludes with the phrase, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So firstly, we should note that while each letter is Jesus' words to each church, they're summed up with what the Spirit says. This is the Spirit doing what he said, what Jesus said he would do. He would He says he will take from what is mine and he will declare it to you. Secondly, we should see that by bringing the word of Christ to the church and not just a word about Christ, but the the living reality of Christ himself actually speaking to us. The Spirit is equipping us as the church to be a people of hope in a world without hope as we live in anticipation of the renewal of all things. Spirit's work means we not only hear the word of Christ, but that Christ speaks through us by the Spirit. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Corporately as a church, we voice to the world the call to come and drink of the living water that flows freely through the gospel. Uh, That living water symbolises the Spirit himself. But not just as a church, also as persons. Uh, Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who hears say come. So as persons, as uh, individuals, we hold out to those around us Uh, to those who are thirsting for truth and hope and life and love, uh, the offer of those things that's in Jesus. Now, paired with this call uh, is another cry. He who testifies to these things, that's Jesus, says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. This is a hope that the world desperately needs to hear. Not just at this point in time as we face the crisis caused by COVID-19, but also when this crisis has passed. We, We shouldn't actually need a global crisis to stir us up to hold out the word of life in the gospel because sin and death are a much greater crisis than COVID-19 and it's a crisis that humanity faces at every moment of every day. This virus I think is simply a heads up for people to, to use Jesus' words. Jesus said, unless you repent, you all likewise will perish. How great is the need for us to hold out that word of life and hope to those around us.
I don't think we can really authentically call those in the world to come and drink the living water, that is, uh, Jesus as he pours out the Spirit, unless we have a hope that's grounded in this promise that he is coming. If in our hearts we cry, come Lord Jesus, and at the same time our mouths are calling, come to Jesus and drink, then we will be presenting a hope that is far greater than simply one day the world will return to normal after this virus. Now, Romans 8, which we uh, read just a moment ago, is a chapter of great hope, and it highlights for us all that the Spirit is doing among us as we live today looking forward to the day. Now, the situational context of Romans 8 is one of suffering. Romans uh, 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's worth also being reminded that, first of all, most of the sufferings that we face here in Australia are also not worth comparing to the sufferings that many people around the world uh, face. Those people who don't have all the blessings of the, the comfort and the affluence that we enjoy here. If you're worried that you might run out of toilet paper, remember those who are trying to work out how to bury their family members who have died. Or those who are, who are thinking about how not to be caught by the police when they're gathering as Christians. Or those who don't know if at any moment a bomb might fall on their home. Getting things into perspective in that way will enable us to not quickly sink into selfishness and self-preservation and to look outside of ourselves and be the salt and light that we're called to be. But large or small, suffering is an inevitable part of this life. In this creation that sits under the curse uh, and this creation that is characterised by decay and death and destruction. We're told that God has done this so that we would be surrounded by the signs that humanity has failed in our mandate to, to rule over and to care for this creation. That we've turned away from him and we worship the creature instead of the creator. But it's also so that we're constantly reminded that we should always be looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. So let's see uh, all the things that the Spirit is doing in us, the church, as we live as ambassadors of Christ's kingdom in today's world. Firstly, the Spirit sets us free and keeps us free from the law of sin and death. What's the law of sin and death? Well, it's the law that says to us, you're slaves to sin, and because sin has you captive, your only end point is death. All you are, all you think you've achieved, is going to go down to the grave, where you will be forever apart from the favour of God. That's the law of sin and death. This is the bleak outlook that we face, apart from the fact that 
in Jesus Christ, in whose flesh at the cross sin was condemned and its power over us was broken. Now, while I still sin, I'm no longer, because of him, I'm no longer a slave to sin. Now, while at times you will feel the guilt and the shame of sinning, you stand in a place of no condemnation, if of course you are in Christ Jesus through faith. See verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. See, we used to live according to the flesh, meaning that our entire life was bound up in, driven by our own selfish and sinful desires, and so naturally we set our mind on the flesh. But now, by the Spirit applying to us all that Jesus has done at the cross, we live according to the Spirit. He has become the one who focuses our desires no longer on ourselves, but on Christ. And so naturally, now, we set our minds on things of the Spirit. That is, what the Spirit is doing, what the Spirit is saying, what He is calling us uh, to do as His people. This is a, a glorious freedom, to have our consciences cleared, wiped clean, because we've been justified by the crucified, risen Jesus and to be free to live in this world as justified people, no longer bound to simply follow our selfish desires or the conforming pressure of the world. We're now set free instead to follow the leading of the Spirit. Related to this, this Spirit-given freedom is his gift of life and peace and the hope of the resurrection. Now, I will only touch on this briefly because we're about to start a new uh, series, a short series, uh, kind of either side of Easter, on the theme of resurrection. But verse 10 says, If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Because of righteousness means that because Jesus, our great high priest, by his sacrifice, once and for all, for all, has justified us. He has righteousified us, you could say. He's cleansed us. He's made us holy. We are now that suitable dwelling place for the Holy Spirit, who sets up his home in us and among us, and we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. His presence in us is what gives us life. Not merely the ability to breathe and to have a heartbeat, but we are alive to God. We are filled with his life and power. We are the, we're the prodigal son who once was dead but is alive again. We're back in the family. This reality means that we can now look forward to the day when these bodies with their groans and their aches and their viruses will be renewed and will be clothed with immortality. Verse 23 uses the language of adoption. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly 
as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So our adoption will be the redemption of our bodies. Now that doesn't mean that we're not currently children of God. Our status with the Father in Christ is adopted sons and daughters. But just as a child in an orphanage becomes legally and officially a son or daughter of their adoptive parents as soon as the paperwork is signed and all the procedures have been completed, they still wait. They look forward to the day when their new parents will literally walk in the door and take them into their home. They will see their parents face to face. So similarly, we we know our status as children of God and we have the Spirit as a down payment guaranteeing our inheritance. And we wait eagerly for that time when our bodies will be clothed with immortality, when we will see the Father as he brings us into his home, his dwelling place. On that day we will be so glorified that we will be able to see and fully comprehend the glory of God. So in the meantime, while we wait, this spirit assures us of our sonship. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, present tense, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness, present tense, with our spirit that we are children of God. I've probably pointed out before, I think, that the only time we have recorded in the Gospels, Jesus using the words Abba, Father, was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the place where his soul was troubled to the point of death as he braced himself for the suffering that he was about to face, a a suffering of a depth that we are unable to grasp or imagine. At that point, what we could say was absolutely his lowest point, when he was wrestling with his father's will for him, His cry was, Abba, Father, a cry of deep intimacy and confidence and trust in the Father. So the Spirit who causes us to know and live in the freedom given by the Son also brings us to the Father and enables us to know him as Abba, the cry of a dependent child who knows that their life is entirely in the hands of of their loving Father. This intimacy with the Father is what gives us a confidence in living when times are good and an unshakable comfort when times are tough. But this also has a future focus. Verse 17, which I don't think I've put up there, I apologise, says that if we are, uh, well, it's there, isn't it? Um, It was there. I remember reading it at some point. Uh, We are children of Abba Father, then we are heirs. And so we have this assurance that the suffering we face in Christ is all working towards 
our inheritance to the glory that we will also know with him. Fourthly, the Spirit enables us to pray. If I were to ask you as a Christian, what's your biggest weakness? What would you say? I still give in to sin. Um, I struggle to understand the Bible. Don't love my neighbours. I don't go to church as often as maybe I should. Well, Paul seems to be telling us that our greatest weakness really is prayerlessness. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. We should know what to pray for. And we should pray for those things, but we don't. The spirit may be willing, but the flesh is weak. Even though prayer is a vital lifeline, God speaks to us in his word and we speak to him in prayer. So without prayer, we end up expressing our relationship to him as mere servants instead of as children. A servant simply listens, shuts their mouth and obeys. Whereas a child both hears and speaks so that they don't just do what the father says but they actually participate in what the father is doing. So without the spirit's help we are unable to utter even one word of real prayer. But we do have the spirit's help. When we are groaning along with the groaning creation unable to articulate with our mouths or to gather even our thoughts in the weariness of life in this fallen world and the yearning of our hearts for all things to be set free from frustration, we're told the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We saw last week, or two weeks ago, that the Spirit's role as advocate literally means he is called alongside us. And here we see the Spirit coming alongside us, groaning with us, groaning with all of creation, and taking these wordless sighs and groans and translating them into prayers that come before the throne of grace and become this fragrant, pleasing aroma of prayer offered in faith. Prayers that are perfected and brought into line with the Father's will. Now this work of the Spirit shouldn't be an excuse for us to not be praying if we think, well, the Spirit's doing all the praying on our behalf. But it should actually spur us on to come boldly and frequently before the throne of the Father as his beloved children, knowing that no matter how stumbling, no matter how inadequate my prayers might be, It's something that the Father takes great delight in. Now, all of these things we can easily see as applying to each of us. And we certainly should, as uh, we should be sure that God, by His Spirit, will be doing these things in each one of us. But we should also not ignore the corporate aspect of this. We know that. These things are true for us not just as individuals but as a church. It is the spirit and the bride. The bride is the communion of the saints. God sees and loves us each as persons. 
but always and only as persons who are members of his body, the body of Christ, the Son. So when the writer of Hebrews tells us to not neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near, the reason that we should gather, meet together, is to encourage one another. These are the things that we've just heard, uh, the things of the Spirit that we need to be encouraging one another with. And we can obviously only be doing that if we are committed to ourselves remaining part of the community of the church. Now, Romans 8.28 is a wonderful verse. Uh, It's often quoted and it's a great comfort. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. It's even more wonderful when we see this verse in its context. When he says, and we know, we need to see that this knowledge of God's sovereign hand in all things comes from the work of the Spirit that's just been described. Freedom from sin and death, life, peace, the hope of the resurrection, assurance of our adoption to sonship, and empowerment to pray, all of these things combine to enable us to say, we know that for those who God, whom God loves, uh, for those whom God loves, all things work together for good. Sorry, I've just misprinted that there. Uh, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So we can only know these we can only know this truth, this truth, because the Spirit has revealed all of those things to us and He's at work in us and among us. What is this purpose to which we have been called? We have been called according to His purpose. We'll look at verse twenty nine. For those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. His goal is that we be conformed to the image of his Son, to be made like Jesus in every way. This is the good that he is working all things together for. Not one moment of your life in Christ will be wasted. Every second, both the good and the bad, is all being woven together to produce in you a weight of glory that will be the very glory of Christ himself. We have been clothed now in his righteousness and we will be also clothed in his glory. This purpose was already set in place before the beginning of time. In verse 30, When the Father foreknew you, he predestined you for this end, to be like Christ. It will set in motion from your perspective, from our perspective, when he called us to himself through the gospel. So those he foreknew and predestined, he called. He justified us through faith in Jesus. So those whom he called, he justified. And it will be brought to completion when he glorifies you. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. 
Well, we're going to face some interesting and potentially difficult challenges in the coming months as we discover what it means to be a church living in this hope that the Spirit gives us in the, the coming months. Uh, it's a time of upheaval. Um, I was expecting to, be, to give this sermon face-to-face, but as uh, you know, we only found out yesterday that we're no longer able to gather uh, in the building we normally meet in. And we should expect that there will be ongoing developments in the days and weeks ahead. But we can be thankful that in God's kindness and patience and mercy, we are only facing the coronavirus, not something more worse or more deadly. We should also be thankful uh, and for and willing to submit to our government. Uh, in God's kindness, we have leaders in our country who are genuinely concerned and care for our well-being. So let's give thanks for them and let's pray for our governments uh, that God will use them and uh, give them wisdom uh, during this time. Times of adversity will also test our willingness to love truly. So let's, let's be seeking how we might express this unshakable confidence in the Father given to us by the Holy Spirit as we both love one another and love our neighbours. Let's see this not as a problem or an inconvenience, but let's see that this is the way that God is not only shaking up the world, but he's shaking up his church. He's calling us to say, what is, what is really our mission as the church in this world? He's calling us to be his ambassadors, and we, we need to be ready and open and willing uh, for whatever the Spirit sovereignly chooses to do uh, in us and through us as we are his ambassadors. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the confidence that you give us through the work of your Spirit. As we live in this world today, in this creation that's groaning, but it's groaning in hope, we ask that we too might be a people of hope, that your Spirit will fill us and overflow us, to know our adoption as sons and daughters, to know the promise of life and hope and freedom that is available to all people today if they will hear and respond in faith to the gospel. Help us to be a people of prayer too, as we come with confidence that the Spirit is alongside us, groaning in all the desires and longings of our hearts. May we be faithful in prayer, and may we be faithful as your ambassadors in this world. May we hold forth boldly and confidently and without fear the word of life uh, that is in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray.